That's something that I know I never lose sight of um, and the importance of the job that these individuals do. And, you know, and as, and as I've grown up kind of in my career um, in terms of whether I was uh, from a lifeguard to supervising and running facilities, it was always so important that, that, that we give them the tools and support and, and set them up for success because they're so critical. And, and really today, that's what we do is our job is how do we make our, the lives of our clients and our, the operations and ultimately the lifeguards and the staff that they're employing, how do we make their lives easier? Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Wow, you have like a Doppler effect going on there. <laughs> Playing with dynamics, you know? Yeah, the, the audio guy. Yeah, know? that's right. That's right. Uh, so I got a question for you. All right. So when you think of lifeguard, what comes to mind? I think of someone who is guarding lives. <laughs> Usually, Wait, you, go ahead. <laughs> at a pool or a beach, some form of body of water where people are swimming and the lifeguard is there for observation and protection and to act in a blink of an eye if they are needed to save someone's life. That is a lot to think about. It is a lot to think about. That is a lot to think about. And lifeguards have a lot to do and a lot to think about. One thing that I didn't really think about until this interview that we're about to uh, about to release is lifeguards are really first responders. Right. I never thought about it in those terms. But Wes Long, who is the president of Starguard Elite, um, tells us all about lifeguard training and what they go through and how they really are part of the rescue um, team when it comes to, you know, a, an emergency situation. Yes, I've thought about that. I've interviewed people to be lifeguards uh, before. I've asked them the swim questions. Can you grab a brick and 10 feet of water and whatever that was? But I never really thought of them as first responders. Right. Well, and it's so interesting because when we think of our industry, we think of the people who we need uh, on the front line. We've got ride operators. We've got admissions. We've got food and beverage. We've got retail. We've, you know, we've got all this. And, and lifeguards... Uh, it's a frontline position that uh, also has has just that greater level of purpose and the importance of their role uh, that requires additional training and additional certification, additional proficiency to be a frontline employee. Exactly, exactly. And when you think about that level of responsibility, one of the things that Wes kind of helps us understand a little bit better is how that is instilled in someone that doesn't necessarily have a ton of life experience, you know, and he even um, talks about the difference between a beach lifeguard and a pool or a, um, a water park lifeguard. Not that they do drastically different things, but you may have someone that has a little bit less life experience working in a pool or a, or a, um, a water park. And they get similar training. They they learn CPR and they learn you know first aid um, tactics and what what do you do in case there's a drowning and how to how to spot that. Um, but when you think about the barrier that that can actually cause for recruitment, that's another piece that that Wes kind of talks through. It really is a such a heightened um, responsibility that. I kind of get a cringe or a twinge when somebody says, oh, they're just sitting up on stand and getting a tan. Right. 
Right, exactly. You know, you talked about the the training and everything that they go through, and and for many people, they they are early on in their career. They are they are younger. It might be one of their first jobs. Um, and he talks about the way that that training has changed, and that they they don't do it classroom style training. It's all about experiential learning, which is about doing, but also talking about what they're doing and why they're doing it as well. Because uh, the content really needs to be able to stick uh, it, before they, you know, before they go out and they are on their own and they're up on the stand or, you know, they're, uh, uh, you know, watching over the lazy river or the wave pool or, or whatever it is that, uh, you know, there's there's just so much that um, needs to make sure it isn't just delivered, but that it is truly received as well. Yeah. And one of the things he talked about uh, regarding StarGuard Elite, uh, the company that he, he is the president of, is how they are very client centric and that, yes, you have standards. Yes, you have procedures, but their approach is there's lots of different ways to get there and each facility is different. So they need to have kind of their own stamp of approval, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, uh, as long as kind of the, the core standard is there, there, there are multiple avenues, multiple ways you can approach it. It might differ from one organization to another. It might even differ from one location to another within the same organization. He shares how those differences uh, kind of work and really interact with each other as well. So what do you say? Is it time to dive in to this interview with Wes? Go right off the deep end. Wes Long, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's awesome absolutely. to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So excited to, to chat with you. Uh, can you give people a little bit of an idea of kind of who you are and what it is that you do? Sure, sure. So, uh, so my name is Wes and I have been working in the aquatics industry, primarily in the in the attractions world for a better part of 25 plus years now. And um, I started, like a lot of people in the aquatics industry, I started working in a water park as a lifeguard. Um, growing up in, um, in a military family, moved around quite a bit. My parents retired in Florida. I went to University of Central Florida because at the time they let me in. And, and, they, uh, and, and anyway, so I was at school at UCF. I was working at a golf course. Um, had been doing it for a while. Wasn't really, you know, my favorite thing in the world. I heard an advertisement that Disney was hiring for lifeguards. And then I remember like flashback to my, uh, my days as a young, you know, young kid and going to really big Kahuna's uh, water park in uh, Destin, Florida. And I was like, oh, that sounds fun. You know, I called them and they say, yeah, come in for an interview, went in for an interview. The next day it was a swim test. I was certified and I was on stand, you know, and it just kind of happened. And, and then I just found I really enjoyed working in the environment. You know, it's, 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 it's busy. It's, there's always something going on. And, you know, I didn't realize at the time Disney working at Disney and particularly in the, in the mid to late nineties, you know, their water parks were really uh, cutting edge and, you know, industry leading in a lot of ways. And so I got some tremendous experience. And then from there, you know, I finished school and, um, and, and just kind of never left the industry, always been around it. And then uh, grew into operations in a variety of different areas, um, both domestically and overseas. Um, and then about uh, eight years ago, I had the opportunity to join a company that was doing uh, management consulting um, and partnered with the Starfish Aquatics Institute, who is the founder of StarGuard. And, uh, and out of that, we... In 2014, created a Star, StarGuard Elite as a brand, if you will, um, to offer another option to the uh, to the aquatics industry from a training and and support perspective. And then in uh, 2018, um, we formed it into its own standalone company, um, at which I've been the uh, president for StarGuard Elite since uh, since that time. So, um, so yeah, so you know, come. I, I still consider myself an operator at heart, but I've really been on the provider side for about uh, about eight years now. And how do you use the uh, the time you had early in your career as a lifeguard, mm -hmm. uh, really being able to influence what you do today and being able to kind of draw back on that experience yeah. that I can imagine was so pivotal, so so crucial during that time? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and and, and thinking about uh, you know the role of a lifeguard, right? And and how much uh, responsibility we put on lifeguards um, and you know, especially in the private sector and, and in public sector, it's honestly not much, not much different where, you know, there's a, there's an emphasis on efficiency and staffing, you know, staffing costs. How do we manage it? How do we, uh, you know, and then honestly today staffing is even challenged to find enough people. So being, you know, so maximizing your efficiency from that standpoint. And so when you put 
you take one lifeguard and you put them in a position where they single singularly solely are responsible for this area. You know, it's something that I know I never lose sight of um, and the importance of the job that these individuals do. And, you know, and as, and as I've grown up kind of in my career um, in terms of whether I was uh, from a lifeguard to supervising and running facilities, it was always so important that, that, that we give them the tools and support and, and set them up for success because they're so critical. And, and really today, that's what we do is our job is how do we make our, the lives of our clients and our, the operations and ultimately the lifeguards and the staff that they're employing, how do we make their lives easier and provide them the tools and, and, and resources they need to be successful in their, in their job? Because the, 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 opposite side of that if something happens and the emotional toll and and, and everything that, that everybody lives with not just the individuals involved but the people who respond and everything else it's so it's so great so it's so it's critical that we all understand that and really empathize with that role of the lifeguard and so starting an industry growing up in it you know i'd liken it to how kind of like you know the football coaches who played you know have a different perspective than someone who maybe came into it from the other side um, and I think that's always really important is to never lose sight of that, you know, coming from those, uh, those roots, if you will. You know, Wes, you mentioned the emotional toll, uh, that something might take, like if something happens at a pool or at a water park and, and certainly that can take a huge toll on the entire staff and any guard that might be in that area. Um, but even on the side, if nothing happens, there's a lot of emotion that probably gets, uh, a lot, a lot of emotion and intensity that gets poured out just into watching the water and doing their scans yeah. and that kind of thing. And I'm wondering if you can um, kind of walk us through a little bit, what kind of training and specific um, skills those lifeguards are going through? Because, you know, when somebody sees them up on stand and they don't know what they've been through, they're just thinking, here's a teenager on stand. Do, should I really trust them with my life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, I mean, it, and honestly, it, it's been a, it's a challenge in our industry as a whole. And I think a lot of it, you know, if you think about lifeguarding as, uh, as a whole in the, U, in the United States, for example, you know, you have beach rescue lifeguards and you have pool and water park and resorts uh, lifeguards. And a lot of times they're not really seen as the same. And that's unfortunate for a lot of ways. But a lot of that just honestly stems from the fact of age. Um, you know, you look at a lot of uh, public beach lifeguards and, you know, you think about like in places like California, I mean, their, their lifeguards are amazing and they're, they do some amazing things on the beaches um, and, and not just there, you know, really, really all over the world. But but using that kind of that that mindset, they're looked at more in that fire department, you know, police first responder mindset versus if you go to your average water park or pool or, or resort, a lot of times you see a young adult. And so a lot of the, the natural, just because of their age and, and, and you know, kind of the, their physical appearance, you don't give them maybe that same level of respect or, or understanding of what they've gone through. And these young adults, I mean, what, they truly are professionals. They're rescue professionals. They are part of the emergency medical you know, services line of defense, if you will, in, in that regard. And that's one of the things that, you know, there's a guy in our industry um, named Joey Resnack out of um, Canada. And he runs, a, he runs a great organization, a great Facebook group called Lifeguard Authority, and they do a lot of stuff, education and different uh, stuff. But he talks about changing that paradigm and that perception of seeing lifeguards as rescuers, as first responders, and in that, in that kind of that same realm. And so how do we train them, you know, is a lot of it stems back from the, the there's some stuff that's very objective driven, you know, and I'll consider CPR and first aid kind of as one of those objective driven the lifeguard training and CPR they go through is the same as police officers, firefighters, uh, you know, other, other healthcare professionals in the sense that it's basic life support that includes, um, you know, cardiac care, um, use of AED, talking about emergency oxygen, rescue breathing, all of these different elements. And the whole idea is that they are going to sustain life until further help can get there and advance, you know, advanced cardiac life support and other other elements that really need either hospital care or at least ambulatory care can can take over. And so they get those the, that training. But then in addition to that, you know, they have to be able to swim. They have to be proficient swimmers, obviously. But then we have to put a, one of the things that's really changed a lot since when I was a lifeguard first certified, you know, in the, in the mid 90s versus today is we put a lot of emphasis on understanding what drowning looks like 
and how and how the drowning process occurs and how we can interrupt that and having them understand their importance in that role. And a lot of it really relates to time. It's identification and then time. The sooner we can identify, the sooner we can get there and provide treatment, you know, interrupting the drowning process if, if they're in that process of unresponsiveness and things like that becomes so important. And so what we do is we try to simplify all that, you know, and, and I think we overall as an industry do a really good job. And I know at, at, at SGE, what we really put a lot, of, a lot of emphasis on is experiential learning and getting them talking and training, not very classroom driven, not very uh, instructor focused, but very much trying to get them active in, in, in that process so they learn it. So then when they get on stand, they're confident in what they're looking for. God forbid something happens, what their role is to do and, you know, and, and understanding the team element and all those other layers to it. So there's a lot of objective, just kind of checklist items, right? Where I'm going to teach you how to do compressions, how to open airways, how to perform extrications. And there's a lot of emotional element to it too, of understanding the importance and then buying in. Because if I sit here and I tell you, hey, this is what drowning looks like, you need to look for it. But if they don't buy into understanding their role and their importance of it and why it's, you know, that they have to take that ownership and responsibility, it really becomes a challenge to actually have a successful, um, you know, a successful operation, successful, you know, period as a lifeguard, if you will, um, unless you really truly understand and, and, and are, you know, kind of bought into what, what it is you're doing. So you gave us an overview there of the experiential learning. And I'm wondering, I, I would love it if we could maybe dive even deeper, yeah. no pun <laughs> or get a little <laughs> more granular in terms of, of what that really what that really looks like. So you said kind of the, the difference between classroom training and just getting the information. Yeah. Uh, what is what does that learning process said uh, look like and what the, the lessons yeah. I mean, and, and it's a great question because oftentimes people think experiential just means that people doing. And the reality is experiential is, is them being in, in, engaged in it, to talk about it, to be uh, not just simply one direction, where you think about a lot of classroom folk, uh, classroom training. I know like, so I went to a large public university and I, sometimes we had one instructor teaching 300 plus students and these massive classes. And, and it's literally a teacher with a PowerPoint or some sort of other you know, here giving you all the information, but you're just sitting there taking it in and then you do some sort of a, you know, a, a electronic test, something else later. And that's not experiential at all. And so when we, when some things that we focus on experiential is not only have them physically getting up and doing, but also talking about it and engaging that, those, those questions. So even on set on sometimes on sessions where, you know, maybe it's, you can't really make it um, an actual activity or something that they're doing, like, you know, doing CPR is easy, right? Because you can physically work on a mannequin, open up the airway, practice compressions, doing those things, doing other stuff, you know, understanding the drowning process would be very one directional if you just get up and run a PowerPoint or play a video and here it is, but you got to get them talking about it and maybe relating some experiences and then outside doing activities, trying to mimic, you know, the types of activities, because we put a lot, like, for example, one of the things we talk about is, you know, how much adults learn and retain um, and, and how they learn and, you know, 90% of what they say and do and, and what they talk about and they physically do, then they have that retention. And so that's, that's where the experiential component is. And, you know, we've seen, I, I think as a whole, we're seeing a lot more um, transition to that, even in, in, you know, some traditional uh, educational elements um, but versus, you know, hours and hours of presentation. But it's something that we do from the very get go. You know, we have classes immediately students are up they're talking they're doing stuff they're engaged because we're trying to set that standard that this is this is what it's going to be like and then they ultimately retain more you know Wes one of the things that I've noticed I've not worked at a water park but I've been to WWA many times and worked with a lot of um, water parks as a as a consultant um, but a lot of times you find that the the bond between lifeguards is very very deep Again, no pun intended, but um, you don't see that with folks working maybe in other departments throughout a park or, you know, a, a facility. Um, I'm wondering if some of that comes from all of that time they spend together training, all of that experiential, um, emotional um, uh, training that they go through. Um, can you talk a little bit about kind of the bond that, that lifeguards have? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm reflecting back to my uh, to my wedding. And, um, you know, I had uh, five men or five, five guys in my, uh, you know, in my, in my groomsmen 
And I think four of them were guys I lifeguarded with. And at some point I worked with in the industry and, and a couple of them are still, you know, still very engaged in the industry um, to this day. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, it stems kind of what you talked about. It starts at the training and it starts with kind of that understanding and, and being out there doing it. Probably not that all that different than what you see sometimes with like professional athletes or you see with other, you know, other, you know, people who maybe work in positions that, you know, you don't really understand and truly empathize with unless you do it. Um, you know, I know that I have a lot of, uh, you know, buddies who are firefighters and similar, right. You know, where there's that kind of that similar camaraderie between them. Um, I think that, uh, for a lot of, for, for a lot of young adults, they, being a lifeguard, it becomes part of their identity, you know, and it's someone kind of who they are, you know, they, a lot of, you know, a lot of lifeguards will, one of the first things to tell you is I'm a lifeguard versus maybe say they work at the local grocery store or they do some other type of a job may not be how they may not be part of their immediate identity um, just because it is kind of a badge of honor and it's something they had to work hard to get that certification. They maintain it. There's a, there's a certain level of expectation that comes with that, that whether I'm on duty or not, now I have these skills, I have this ownership, I have these responsibilities. And, you know, and I think you talk to most people who have been lifeguards and, majority of us have used skills outside of work far as much, if not more than we have within the, within our operating environments, because, you know, just nature of what you're learning and what you do. Is there a, a typical career path for a lifeguard? You were talking earlier about, you know, you say they're, you know, they, they're part of the emergency response team. There's the, obviously there, there's the training, there's the professional skills with it. And if you think of, you know, whether it's a, you know, at, at a water park, you got your lifeguards and your admissions attendant, your retail, your food and beverage. Uh, but as far as, you know, being a lifeguard, I can imagine that there, there might be a little bit of a, a different career path and yeah. so many transferable skills. Do a lot of people, you know, become paramedics and EMTs? Do they become firefighters or do they often, or is there a lot of in-house development to keep them within products as well? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I mean, just for the sheer numbers of, of lifeguards that are trained every year, um, you know, I would say majority of them probably find themselves in other career paths longer term, but, uh, but lifeguarding is kind of a, a entry way into, I mean, I know a number of lifeguards that I worked with at my days at Walt Disney world um, that are now firefighters or other level EMS um, you know, our medical director for SG, our, our chief medical director, uh, uh, Justin Sumstrat, uh, he started as a lifeguard at uh, Jack's beach and um, he was at Jacksonville Beach and was an ocean, ocean surf lifeguard. And, um, you know, and he did that with, with the intention on becoming and became a doctor out of that because some of the, the education information and things he was learning, you know, he felt like could be different and ultimately stayed on that career path. And so you definitely see that where lifeguarding opens up a, a door or into other EMS and, um, um, you know, health, uh, first responders, healthcare prov uh, providers, things like that. Um, one of our uh, one of our clients I was just talking to uh, yesterday is, uh, is finishing up uh, nursing school and is going to become a nurse, you know, and has been doing this, but got into nursing based from her lifeguard experience and, uh, you know, you know, figured out, hey, maybe this is something I'm interested in. I think within the aquatics industry, though, one of the things that we always are trying to impart on young adults is that that a lot of times if they take the approach that this is just a summer job or a seasonal job or something temporary, that there is a lot of opportunity in our industry. And, you know, the one thing that about aquatics industry is, is that, you, I mean, it's just exploding. And the number of facilities that we see that are adding water parks or, or expanding their aquatic elements, cities that are, that, that, you know, every year they're adding or every, every few years are adding new aquatic facilities it's, it is far from a zero sum game in the sense that, that, you know, just because that person may be young and in this, this position, there's not going to be a lot of other opportunity and always trying to, to, to engage the young adults and, and to stay within the industry and keep growing. Um, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I took a path that a lot of water park uh, senior management took where it was, I was a lifeguard into a supervisor, into a manager, director, you know, general manager role. And, you know, and I, and I, and I did that path. We see that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the people in the industry have taken that same route, but then, but then there's a lot of, a lot of people that have come from other ways or other areas, but having, if, if someone's entering the, the career now or they're, or if they're, you know, if they're 
say they are a supervisor or a manager. I mean, the number of opportunities are out there. As long as you're, if you're willing to move, <laughs> the opportunities are, are amazing, you know, and, and, and one time I was asked, you know, what, what do you attribute some of your being able to grow in this industry? And I said, because, because I'll pick up and move, you know, and I mean, I'll go wherever the opportunities are. And I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, if, if you, if you have a, someone in front of you who's blocking your potential growth, but you're willing to move, let me tell you, there's 20 other opportunities probably out there, um, you know, and you just have to be willing to, to, to make that change. And some people are, and some people aren't, and, you know, that's, and that's understandable. Wes, since we're talking about uh, staffing and lifeguards, can we talk a little bit about recruiting? Uh, because that's something that people have been dealing with, especially the last couple of years, all over the industry, not just lifeguards, but um, maybe specifically some of the challenges that you might have in getting enough people in the door so that you can have people that are willing to take those opportunities and move around the country or the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, recruiting, you go anywhere, right. And you see the help on it adds out and, and, you know, and everyone's answer a lot, not everyone, but a lot of answers have been just, let's just throw more money at this. Right. We don't have, we go from $12 an hour to 15 to 18, you know, and I was in a, I was in a place not too long ago and I saw $22 for a, a fast food place, you know, and it's just like, wow. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of crazy how fast some of this is, uh, has changed. And so, you know, when I first got into lifeguarding, not only was the idea of make of it sound fun, but I was going to, I was going to get an extra 35 cents an hour. And that was a big motivator for me at the time <laughs> was, was the money. And what we've noticed though, is that as the, as the, the rate of minimum um, wage and, and hourlies and stuff have increased, that, that variance, even if it's a dollar or two an hour, sometimes that's not enough to incentivize, especially with the amount of responsibility. And it, it, and, and so when you think about going out and recruiting lifeguards, if you're recruiting all positions, you're just trying to find enough, enough staff. And with lifeguards, it becomes especially difficult because not only do they, you know, do you have to find people who are proficient swimmers and who, who are up for the job, but then you actually have to train them. You know, and you have to, and, and lifeguard training itself typically um, is anywhere from, you know, 22 to, to 30 hours, kind of depending on the nature of the, the facility and, and, and other demands that are on them. But, but then once they're trained, you still have to train them on your local procedures. You know, you, you might have attraction, you know, rules and guidelines and things you have to train them through. And so you can easily be 40 hours of training. Some facilities are able to pay for all of that training. And so, but a lot of, a lot of them don't and, or they can't, you know, especially the training. And so you're going to have to recruit someone. Not only do you have to find them to check all these boxes. Now you got to say, oh yeah, by the way, you're willing to invest 25, 30 hours of your own time into, into taking on this role. And then now guess what? You have a lot, you have a lot more responsibility than maybe someone in, you know, working at another type of position. I'm not going to put any positions down by any means, but a certain amount of responsibility does come. And thankfully, there's still a lot of young adults and, and, and people who are very interested in doing those things. But as far as the, um, but as far as like having the, the amount of, um, of personnel available to us today that we used to have, it's, it's very different. And so, and so we've seen a lot, a, a lot of different efforts in terms of trying to recruit and, 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 um, and bring in these, uh, these, these people. Um, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it really is. And so, you know, from our perspective, I know one of the things that we've done is saying, how do we change this or what can we do? What can we do differently? And you've seen blended learning come on and that helps cut down in some of the, um, some of the in-person time commitment that's required, but also revisiting maybe some of the, the prerequisites that are required, you know, and it, I mean, it wasn't on, it wasn't that long ago that we used to say everyone has to be able to swim, you know, a certain distance and in this time, and then they have to be able to do these other physical things and, you know, coming back and saying, well, is that necessary for everything, especially as light as pools and water parks have become so much more shallow now, where maybe you don't need, you know, uh, uh, not say Olympic level swimmers, but you know, you don't need like really, really competitive swimmers. You need people who are efficient in the water um, and, and, and finding those types of ways to open up the candidate pool more. And so there's a lot of things that have been done, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's not a challenge that's going to be solved, you know, anytime soon. That's for sure. It's going to take time to, I think, for the things really get better. Has the job of a lifeguard changed over the years and evolved? Like from your your early days at Disney as a lifeguard, you know, we think about 
just all jobs these days of just technology being able to improve it and just just different ways that people do the job over time. Yeah. Have there been changes to the lifeguards or is it still just the fundamental core components? I think a lot of the fundamentals are the same, but I think the one thing that's really changed is this is the understanding of the standards and expectations of the lifeguards. Um, you know, in the mid 90s, um, you know, it's it, you go back 25, 30 years and and a lot of lifeguards, it was, hey, go on stand. Here's we put you through your training. There was a lot of unknowns, you know, like, for example, I honestly wasn't trained on really what a drowning person looks like. And, and we didn't put a lot of emphasis on zones. We said, OK, hey, you watch this area, but not really understanding some of the science and some of the, uh, uh, you know, our responsibility in terms of those zones. Um, and so we've seen that that dynamic change quite a bit over the last 15, 20 years. Um, we've seen, uh, you know, certain technologies come out. Um, for sure, the day-to-day the, the -day job of a, of a lifeguard as a whole is, is largely the same in the sense that, you know, we're watching a body of water, we're, we're, we're trying to identify anyone in need, perform the rescue, those types of things. But when you talk about the other kind of the other parts of the job, for example, um, dispatch and, and attraction operations, you know, we used to get up, you know, maybe say a spiel and be like, all right, next, now, you know, and, and, and then lo and behold, over time, you know, lawsuits happen, litigation, all these regulations and things. And we've become better and more refined as an industry about educating patrons, things to look for. Um, you know, so we, uh, one, one area that's changed tremendously is attraction operation. Um, I would say that more and more the, um, the operators are, are better trained and better professionals to, to do their job than they were um, you know, back in the day. Um, and so, and so that's been a, that's been a big shift, but in terms of lifeguarding itself, you know, whether, you, you know, whether I'm working on a wave pool, um, at a water park, or I'm working at a pool in, you know, at a city or, or beach or wherever the job's largely the same, but I think some of the, the training and tools and understanding is what's really changed. You know, along that line, one of my favorite memes that came out during the kind of the height of the pandemic, and Wes, I'm sure you've seen it, was, you know, we're, we're talking about everybody working from home, and there's that lifeguard on stand in the bathroom watching the person in the bathtub. Um, I just thought that was, like, really hard to work from home as a lifeguard. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? Yeah, not not, not something that's uh, easily, easily accomplished, that's for sure. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'm wondering if we can uh, change gears just a little bit and yeah. focus specifically on, on StarGuard Elite. Um, because one of the things that you talk about specifically on your website is how your your approach is very client-focused, client-based. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how that informs your decisions and how you work with folks? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think I think one of the things that uh, that has been very valuable for me is having been an operator in Florida, twice in California at, at two different facilities and um in uh, uh, overseas in Dubai and uh, Georgia. And then and then as a um, as a consultant or a provider seeing, you know, literally all all 50 states, all, you know, 25 plus countries is you see so many types of operations. And the reality is, is that I'm from my days even though I was the same and the standards I was trying to implement were the same, every facility I, I worked at, we, we operated differently, you know? And even when, even when we had the same parent company, parks would, would have things, little nuances and things that are different. And so where that drove us and, and really me, my personal vision with this is that we're not, you know, the, the, the prescribed approach of saying, hey, you always do it this way, you know, there's a, there's A to B to C to D isn't always the case. The reality is, is there's objectives and standards, but the routes to get there can be, can be very different. Um, and that's okay. As long as we're meeting those objectives and those standards. And so what we do as a client, as a, as an organization is we try to understand what are the client needs? What are the industry uh, standards and guidelines that they're going to be expected to meet, you know, from a defensibility standpoint, that's one of the things that we talk about a lot is, Hey, we're trying to, we're trying to make God forbid something happen. We know that if we do all these procedures, we're setting your team up for the best success. And hopefully they don't ever have the turmoil. And then, and then, uh, you know, dealing with an incident and your guests never, never are part of that. But then if something does happen, then from a defensibility perspective, also being able to feel confident that yes, you were doing everything you needed. And, and so understanding all of that, what is the client's, you know, what's their experience? What's their vision? What is it they're trying to, you know, th th that makes them unique? How can we still embody that, 
but meet those standards. And so that's where the client centric approach really comes from. And, you know, there's some, there's some parts of uh, clients within our organization, you know, I'll, I'll use uh, Royal Caribbean cruise ships, you know, they're, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they do such an incredible job and they're able to really apply a lot of consistency from ship to ship to ship because the operations are very similar, but then we have other, other, you know, park groups and uh, cities and things they're, 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 they're facilities might operate very differently, um, still accomplishing the same standards. And so that's where, that's where for us saying what's being client centric, we really try to be a partner and not a provider. Um, you know, it's easy to come in and say, you know, I could, I could go to any pool and say, just double the amount of staff and, and add all this, you know, and do all these, it's just not realistic, right? It's not feasible. And, and it's not probably what's best for that, for the business or the, or the operation or whatever as a whole. So that's where really trying to be client focused, understand that, be a partner to them and have that, uh, that dialogue back and forth. It's, uh, trust me, it's not always easiest for us, you know, where we have to, we have to be willing to, to make accommodations or, or to do things differently. Um, but it's ultimately, if it's what's best for the, for the client, best for their, their patrons, that's, that's what, that's what our mission is. Mm. In the event of an incident, can you walk us through just the overall, what the defensibility process looks like? Yeah. And it, you know, there's a lot of variables to this as well. you know, I mean, depending upon the, uh, uh, where it happens and, you know, types of facilities and then, and all of that, um, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Uh, typically you'll have either, you'll have either, uh, in-house, uh, counsel, maybe, maybe external, you know, lawyer or someone like that, that's going to be involved insurance companies. Uh, sometimes it's the owner operator or the management or whoever it is, depending on the type of facility. Um, but, um, in the event that an incident occurs, um, you know, the immediate is obviously taking care of both the, the, the person or persons involved in that incident from a, from a health perspective. That's obviously first and foremost, but then also taking care of the staff and the people that were involved and the, maybe the other uh, patrons that witnessed it and what can we do to support them. So that's always the immediate is what can we do to support this uh, support and support these individuals. Then from there, you start stepping back to saying, okay, what was it that what were, were there contributing factors? You know, what led to this incident occurring? What learning lessons are is, is you know, is there something wrong? Is there something unsafe? Is there something needs to be changed? Whatever it is, you know, because you don't obviously don't want that to repeat itself. Okay. And then and then beyond that, then we get into more of the that's part of that analysis and investigation. Um, you know, the expert, you know, some of the expert uh, analysis and stuff involved in those and that piece of it. And then beyond that becomes, you know, some of those longer term, do you make, you know, if you're making changes, what are they, if it goes into, you know, litigation or anything like that, what, you know, what's, what's needed, what's the support, you know, I, we, I personally take the approach and we take the approach that, you know, we're not going to try, there's no, there's no hiding anything, you know, everything we have, we just assume everything's discoverable and there, we're not, we don't try to, take the approach of we're going to try to protect us or, or point fingers or anything like that. Because the reality is, is that through the, through the litigation process and everything, if someone's, if someone has fault, it, it's going to be found. Um, and it, you do no good trying to isolate yourself or do anything like that. Um, and so, uh, so the, that the, the whole post incident, it, it's, it's really, it's a, uh, it's, it's such a multifaceted, element because, you know, we didn't even talk about, for example, communications and, and public communication, you know, media plans and, 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 you know, not, talking to that, talking to your patron, your other patrons, what are, what, what are those steps, you know, can controlling that messaging, um, you know, there's lots of, um, there's lots of basics out there, again, you know, similar to some of the other, you know, everything's so unique, you know, you have to take each situation at, at, at you know, as such. Um, but the one thing that I think we always try to do is, is if I hear of an incident, whether it was, if it, it was at a client facility or it wasn't, are there learning lessons here? You know, what can I extrapolate? Sometimes I'll, all we have is, is press clippings or hearsay, you know, but is there something there that maybe we need to, we, we need to be focused on to try to, you know, provide that education to our clients or, or, you know, to our staff or whoever to, to help. Um, make sure this doesn't occur again. Um, you know, some, and, I, and I'll use an example. Last year, there was a, um, I don't know, maybe it was 2020, but there was an incident that occurred at an inflatable park on a lake. And 
without having all the facts and everything uh, to that situation. Nonetheless, it was, we knew some of the stuff that was in the, in the, in the press, I'm sure it's able to take that and say, Hey, listen, what, what are, what are some of the, the things here and what can we help do to get, get this message out to our clients who operate similar, just to, just as an extra reminder of you need to be doing these things. Hopefully they already were, but you know, nonetheless, are there learning lessons there? And um, you know, so whenever an incident occurs, there's, there's so much that can, come out of it in the long in the long uh, term but it really just depends on kind of the exactly what the incident was who's involved all of those things before you can really you know make any next determinations yeah Wes, I'm curious if we can also talk a little bit about um, WWA. We've mentioned that uh, a couple of times and you've been very involved uh, with with that association and you know for every Every business, there's a trade association, right? And, uh, you know, WWA is the big one for for aquatics. Um, how important is it for you and even for your career to have been involved in in the WWA, the World Water Park Association? Yeah. You know, one of the, I think the, I think a lot of the trade organizations, whether it's World Water Park Association, uh, IAPA, um, you know, AOAP is another great one in our aquatics industry. But even beyond that, you know, there's so many in the public sector. There's organizations like ASTM, um, you know, and, and, and others that are, that just do tremendous work to support um, all of us and, you know, on so many different levels. And I just think it's important that that we're involved and that, that you know, in a way you could say some of it's giving back, you know, because it is volunteer and it is, you know, it takes its extra time and, and commitment. But I think that it, you find it to be very rewarding. And, um, you know, and I'm a big advocate to, you know, to my team and to, you know, to anyone in the industry to try to get involved and, uh, and, and be part of these, uh, these organizations. And so for me personally, you know, World Water Park Association was one that um, was, I had the opportunity to become involved in, as a volunteer, but they're also very receptive and, and have been very, um, uh, you know, gracious to me. Um, to be able to be involved and, you know, give me opportunities. And so I, I joined the, uh, the safety committee, um, I think about eight years ago. And, um, and I was the chair or the, um, the secretary for it for about four years, and the chair for about four years and, you know, in work, doing the work kind of with that committee, um, it really opened my eyes to a lot more in the industry in terms of, especially from regulatory and some of the impact that these other organizations have. Um, and so we actually, for a couple of years, did a lot about talking about, you know, getting involved with, with Monoclotic Health Code and the Pool and Hot Tub Alliance and, and ASTM and those types, um, because they do all play a, a very vital role. And their success is, is also contingent upon the next the next generation staying involved and continuing to grow and 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 evolve it and so um you know so for me wwa was great and you know and then last year i or this year i was uh offered the opportunity to join the board of directors um and so i'm continue i'm excited to see it continue to grow and and work from a different uh, aspect i just think though that that it's the outreach that these uh, these organizations are able to have, the education that they can provide, um, the, the networking and community that they build, um, you know, we don't see it in the um, in the private sector as much, but the public sector, you know, has state and national level organizations that are tremendous, and we see the same thing there. And so, you know, I, I think about a place like uh, Chicago and Illinois Parks and Rec Association. You know, they have some just just tremendous uh, groups that work together, and really every state does. Um, and so, it's just, but however it is, but if you look at those organizations, they're so they're so dependent upon people being involved and engaged and, and making an effort to not just, not just be a member, but also go to their organizations, their events, support and do all those things. But then they are able to become a voice and an advocate and use that in so many other ways. And, you know, and, and WWA from a, from a, a, you know, safety and advocacy and, and, and other, it's just done some, some really some tremendous work and, and, you know, our, and our industry is better for it. That's for sure. And in addition to WWA, you briefly mentioned the uh, Model Aquatic Aquatic Health Code, and uh, your or the lifeguard training was the first to hold that certification. Can you tell us about that as well? Yeah, um, you know, so it was interesting when Model Aquatic Health Code and the MAC, uh, you know, 
came out with that where they were going to they were going to release a certification program, you know, and and I initially I honestly honestly I had actually had some concerns about kind of what their intentions were with it and kind of my, my one of my concerns was that um, that programs that maybe don't help hold all of the regulatory approvals and some of the others would try to get a MAC certification to circumvent some of the other um, the other standards. But Ma uh, the, the monoclonic health code has done a really good job of, of creating a consensus and a, um, and a kind of a, a backbone, if you will, for design and operations and, and so many other elements of uh for aquatics and so for us when when max said they were going to release a sort of certification program you know i felt it was important to get out in front of that and, and to get our program uh certified because you know it really is one of the things i love about the mac is is if you go and you read any of it it applies to almost any type of aquatic operation and even even though it's not um authority in many um in, in many jurisdictions um, it is a great consensus because so many people are involved and, um, and, and the standards apply on so many levels. And so for us, getting becoming MAC certified was, was great. And the fact that we were the first ones to, to do it for the lifeguard training program, um, you know, was, was awesome. And, and, and we helped, it helped just kind of, I think, um, reassure our clients that what they're doing is um is we're keeping them on the forefront and 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 on the uh you know the industry standards for for safety and operations and everything um it further strengthens those messages that we that we drive and um you know we always continue to try to you know if they, there's a new edition that's coming you know we don't we don't quite know when it's coming but it's coming and once it's released you know revisiting it reevaluating all of our standards making sure that what we uh, the provide the advice and counsel and stuff that we provide meets, um, you know, the max standards. Uh, Wes, you mentioned a little bit ago that you worked in Dubai. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about what that experience was life li like living and working over there. So I had the opportunity to go to Dubai in 2008, um, which the timing honestly couldn't have been better because, um, you know, within towards the end of that year and the next year, obviously the economy, uh, the economy crumbled in the U.S. and there was a lot of challenges, but it was also a, a great time in my personal life because my wife and I, we'd just been married. And when we actually moved there, she was pregnant um, and both my kids were actually ended up being born in Dubai. And so we were there for four years. And, you know, I, I look back on Dubai and, and reflect, reflect very fondly of my time there. Um Going into it, I I think I was uh, probably more than naive about what I was going to you know encounter and everything like that. Um, I will say that the transition there was really wasn't difficult, but for me, what I probably didn't appreciate was the friendships and the understanding of of other cultures and relate you know in, in countries and 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 things that I would take away from that. And even to this day, like actually this morning, I was on WhatsApp speaking to two or three people, friends that I've still maintained from Dubai. They're now all over the world. And, um, you know, and it was just tremendous. And so being part of, you know, as, as part of the opening team with the Atlantis uh, Resort there, and um, and I've being part of that for four years um, and seeing that operation grow and mature and everything and then seeing how, how it's continued to grow and evolve since those days, but also be part of a, you know, it was kind of a bit of a boom at the time going on in Dubai and the Middle East as a whole. And now we've seen that carry into Saudi Arabia and other markets as well. Um, you know, it's really, really tremendous. And, you know, and, and I, I just, the thing that, I look back on, I probably reflect most fondly on is, is the people, you know, and the, um, and the understanding you get, um, you know, I mean, like, you know, having met so many people from countries like, you know, Sri Lanka and Kenya and, and Egypt and, you know, and, and all parts of Asia, um, Europe, so, so many, you know, and you just, it's just incredible. And, and it really gives you an, an under, a better understanding of the world in so many ways when you're, when you're kind of in a melting pot like that of so many nationalities and, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been great, you know, and then it, the family ties to that as well. I mean, I just, I, you know, there's, it's, it's something I'll always look back and be very fond about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll bet. Um, so we're starting to run a little low on time here, but, uh, we, we would love to know what is your favorite thing about working in the aquatics industry? Well, today, my favorite thing for sure is the, is the, 
the ability to travel and see people in new facilities. You know, I was just in Thailand about two weeks ago and got to see a couple of different clients and, and interact with them and the, the cultures. And then, you know, and then last week I was in Mexico and the same thing there. Right. And so it's like some of that, some of that travel, but even around the U S um, you know, seeing so many different people um, it, it's amazing to me just to see the growth and the continual evolution of the, uh, and, and be involved um, in, in in the grand scheme of things, it's always been the people. I mean, I think, uh, you know, probably, probably say the same thing about a lot of industries, but, um, you know, I think back about the people that I've worked with, you know, throughout you know, my career as an operator and then with, you know, as my career on the provider consultant side of the business, it, it, the, the people are really by far what makes it the best. And, you know, it's just been the, when the doors that this industry has opened up for me and, and being able to, uh, to witness and experience and, and get to know people and everything has just been awesome. So Wes, this is the very first episode that's going live in 2023. So thank you very much for, for being our guest today. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, do you have any, you know, resolutions or things that you're looking forward to uh, in 2023? Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a uh, always a question that uh, there's constantly something that you want to answer, right, or or things you want to do better at. Um, you know, uh, professionally, I probably just continue to to trust. I'm I'm a I'm guilty of always trying to be in the weeds um, at times and trying to just delegate and trust my team and and do better about that. Um, you know, personally, probably uh, probably refocus on my health more. Um, you know, it's easy to get tied up in work and day to day to day, um, but get back into, you know, being, uh, being better about, you know, fitness and doctor's appointments and those types of things. I'm not, I'm not 20 anymore, you know, so I need to, uh, need to start recognizing that, but, um, but no, I think, uh, probably just, uh, uh, yeah, those would focus on those two things, hopefully. And, uh, this time next year, I'll be in a better spot. <laughs> Well, Wes, if people want to learn more about StarGuard Elite or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Yeah, um, so www.starguardelite.com, S-T-A-R-G-U-A-R-D-E-L-I-T-E.com. Um, email is um, is my name, Wes, with two S's, dot long at starguardelite.com. Um, or we always say info at starguardelite.com. It goes to me and my whole team, and uh, we're always uh, very responsive there. So, um, you know, easy to, should be easy to Google and find. I'm happy to meet with anyone, talk talk further, see what we can do to uh, to to assist. That's excellent. Thank you, Wes. We will make sure all of that gets into the show notes. And uh, really appreciate your time today. Just great um, insight into the aquatics industry. So can't thank you enough for that. And for everybody who is out there watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.